Hey, good evening. Thanks for joining this live stream message from the Neighborhood Church. My name is Adam Wood, and I'm the lead pastor, and I'm really glad that you are logging on or checking this video out or listening to this video when it's posted on our podcast. Blah, 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 blah. You get it. You're here. And in just a few moments, I want to share with you a really big idea. So I hope that however you're listening, you'll stick with me because I want to unpack this big idea because I think it's big enough to encompass every single person on this planet. Whether they recognize it or not, here's my big idea. Ready? We're all on a step-by-step journey of recognizing Christ's presence in our everyday lives. We're all on this journey, and we're on this journey together. That's a big idea that here in a few moments I'm going to split in half and work through with you. So I'm glad that you found this video, and I hope that you'll stick with me through this journey. By the way, if you have been a part of the Neighborhood Church for any length of time, you might have heard me ask this question. Where are you on your journey with Jesus? Where are you on your journey with Jesus, by the way? I love to ask this question because I think it's really evocative. It's really pictorial or illustrative if you're like me and you think in images and stories. Here's why I love that and why, what I mean. Where are you on your journey with Jesus? You might answer today, well, I feel like we're kind of step by step going on our journey and walking side by side and in stride. Or you might think, you know, I kind of feel like Jesus is way up there, that he's going and doing him, but I'm kind of back here, stuck down in the dust, just kind of sitting. I've got my quarantine sweatpants on and I'm wondering, what do I even have to get up for? Maybe if I ask you, where are you on your journey with Jesus? You think that you're getting up and walking and doing you, but you left Jesus way back in the rearview mirror. That you're just doing you and he's back there waiting for you to pay attention. Where are you on your journey with Jesus? The reason why I love that question is not only because the answer could be different in different seasons of your life, I love that question because I believe I could ask it of any single person, even people that don't even believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that even people who don't recognize Jesus as the Lord of all, who is risen and reigning over all that is, even people that don't recognize him as such, are even on a journey with him. This is what we see in a story I'm about to read to you from Luke chapter 24. So if you want to grab a paper Bible and join me there, Luke chapter 24. If you want to swipe there on your phone, you can get there. But in just a few moments, we are going to meet two people on a journey with Jesus, though they don't even recognize it. 
If you're hearing this and you don't consider yourself on a journey with Jesus, I believe that you are because wherever you are, we are put in a situation so that we might seek him and find him. Because I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he is bringing together all people so that they might find true life and purpose and what it means to be truly human in him. We're all on a journey with Jesus. And like these two disciples that we're about to meet, the only kind of journey we can take is one that is step by step, one foot in front of the other. We're going to join these two disciples on a literal journey. It's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified, to a town called Emmaus, seven miles away. And this story really is the kind of story that invites you to get inside of it and walk each step with them. So if you've turned to Luke chapter 24, you'll have it there to follow this story along as we unpack that big idea. But for just a moment, I want to invite you into this story, not to read it in this second, but to hear it. I want you to hear Jesus's question. I want you to feel the disappointment and discouragement and then the gradual recognition and elation that comes with the disciples. I want you to hear this story and hear a word or phrase that resonates with you, that stands out to you. I want you to sit with it step by step. Can we do that together? Great. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. As you're preparing to listen, Understand that this story takes place on Easter Day with two people who have heard these strange reports that Jesus, who they knew was crucified, who they knew was buried, all of a sudden is M-I-A. These women went to the tomb. They said it was empty. It's been the whole scuttlebutt, not only of the town, but their close friends and followers of Jesus. They've heard all of these reports but it's not compelling enough for them to stick around and see how it plays out. No, they've heard the news. They've heard the reports on that very first Easter, and they're still going to walk away. But Jesus will meet them. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Hear this story. Get inside this story with me. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped 
that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. I love that story of this journey they took with Jesus. It was step by step until they finally were able to recognize the presence of the risen Christ in their everyday walking and talking and eating. That's the big idea I want to unpack with you. But before we split it up in two and work through it together, would you pray with me? I love the Book of Common Prayer. It's from our Episcopalian brothers and sisters. But sometimes when I get stuck on words to pray, I turn to books like this. And so the prayer for today, Saturday and Easter week, is this. Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have delivered us from the dominion of sin and death and brought us into the kingdom of your Son. And we pray that, as by his death he has recalled us to life, so by his love he may raise us to eternal joys. Who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, and we all say or type, Amen. Amen. One of my favorite preachers and authors is a man named Brian Zond. And in 2016, he took a sabbatical after 35 years of ministry. For those of you who don't know, a sabbatical is an extended time off. It's a time of rest, renewal, and reflection that people in ministry often take. So his wife, Perry, suggested that they travel to Europe 
and walk the Camino de Santiago. In English, the Camino de Santiago is translated as the Way of St. James. And the Way of St. James is a medieval pilgrim route that is 500 miles. Let me tell you it this way, 500 miles of walking. Now, it could be worse because this 500-mile stretch of a pilgrim route starts at the border of France and Spain and crisscrosses through little villages and chapels and towns all throughout northern Spain. So pilgrims for centuries have walked this route, stayed in different places after a day's journey to reflect on this passage that culminates in a shrine where they believe the remains of St. James the Apostle are held. So, Brian Zahn and his wife Perry set off in 2016 to the way of St. James. Now, Brian Zahn speaks a little bit about it in this book, Postcards from Babylon. His wife Perry actually wrote a whole book on their experience, but I've got this book because I want to read to you a reflection after one day of their journey. You see, Brian Zahn says that after a day of hiking, they went to stay in a monastery. And adjacent to that monastery, to where they were staying, was a 13th century chapel. So after a day's journey, he sits into the chapel and he says as his eyes began to adjust to the dim light of that building, his eyes began to focus on a crucifix. And as he beheld Jesus affixed in plaster to a wooden cross, he sensed the Holy Spirit giving him this direction for his journey. Listen to what Brian Zahn writes. Enter every church you can. Pay attention to every crucifix you see. Ask this question. What does this mean? Don't be too quick to give an answer. That's what Brian Zahn sensed the Holy Spirit inviting him to do on his 500-mile journey on this pilgrim route. And so that's what Brian Zahn did. He said every day for 40 days, he stopped and entered every church that he could. Then he sat and beheld every crucifix he saw. And he sat contemplating this question. What does this mean? And he tried and tried not to rush ahead to give too quick or easy an answer. I think because whatever answer we arrive at, what does this mean? It's a step-by-step -step journey that sends you into an ever-expanding and deeper and more robust recognition of the presence of Christ. But the first piece of our story in our journey together is to unpack this idea that we are all on a step-by-step -step process. That's what I want to talk about first. And by the way, this question that was given to Brian Zond is the same question occupying our two disappointed disciples. The question was this, what does all of this mean? They had heard the reports that the tomb was empty. 
but it wasn't satisfactory. They ventured out of Jerusalem and started to walk step by step toward a village called Emmaus. But while they were walking together, they were occupied with this question. What did all of that mean? They were trying to process everything they had seen and experiencing. And here's what I want you to hear in their journey. Jesus meets them in it. Jesus meets them in their disappointment. Jesus meets them though they don't see him. Then Jesus asks that question as he's eavesdropping. Did y'all know that Jesus is an eavesdropper? I don't know. He is in this story. And he says, what are you talking about? And I love their response because it's the kind of response of the person that has like been in New Orleans those couple of weeks before Lent. And the guy's like, hey, what's all this partying about? And they're like, dude, are you the only person in New Orleans who doesn't know what Mardi Gras is? This is kind of their response to Jesus. He saddles up next to him. He's walking away from Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, dude, are you serious? Like, did you not just see this? And the irony, of course, that Luke wants us to know is that yes, He did know what was going on because it happened to him. He was crucified. He was laid in a tomb. And now on the third day, since all of that has happened, he is alive and moving, though he's moving unannounced at this moment, unrecognized at this moment. But he meets them on their journey. And then what these two disciples do is a really risky thing to do. They share with them they tip their hand with him that they actually were a follower of his. And not only that, they had their own hopes and dreams and expectations for what kind of leader he should have been. Now, the reason I say it's risky is because in their context, they had just killed their leader, their religious authorities. And so there was a little bit of a risk saying, I'm associated with that guy that you crucified. But here's another reason why it's risky. And it's the same reason why it's risky for you and I in our journey with Jesus. Sometimes you can risk sharing your own hopes and doubts and expectations because you don't know how they're going to be received. And I think one of the grave and tragic problems of the Christian community is that questions are not welcome, that doubts are seen as the antithesis of a real and robust faith. I believe, however, that these questions and doubts are actually essential to our faith. Because in getting our expectations out and our doubts out and our fears and worries and hopes out, they're able to finally be processed in a step-by-step journey. And I think that when we honor your doubts and honor your questions, you're actually finding yourself in a long line of people who for millennia have aired their grievances with how God is running the world. This is essential to what it means to be on a journey with Jesus. Because when you get them out in the open, you realize that they can be talked through and processed through together with other brothers and sisters along the journey and with Jesus along the journey. How many of you today have a different way of thinking and feeling and believing about your own journey with Jesus, different from how you experienced it 10 years ago? 
If you grew up in a church, does your thinking match the way you thought when you were 12 years old or a 16-year-old in youth group? I'm not saying that those thoughts and beliefs weren't valid then. I'm saying that they were one step in your journey. And Jesus, if you walk with him long enough, will move you to deeper places of laying out your hopes, dreams, and expectations so that he might show you their place in the broader story. This is exactly what Jesus does on this journey with these two disappointed disciples. Luke says their faces were downcast because they had all the ways they thought Jesus should have done what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to kick out Rome, revolutionize their religious system, and he didn't do it. In fact, he was killed. And here's the trick. Jesus is going to show them that their expectations were not only unmet, their expectations were actually unrealistic. And he took the whole Bible and said, no, 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 you don't get it. Human life is about human suffering. And when God becomes human in me, the person of Jesus, the embodiment of the love and reign of God. I can't just sidestep suffering. I need you to understand that this was the story all along, to take on human suffering head on and to experience human suffering in my person, in my body, so that I might defeat suffering ultimately through the suffering of the cross. You see, I think what happens in this moment is they realize that the story and the expectations and the hopes that they had were actually too small. And I think if we're able to get these out in the open with other brothers and sisters, we're able to sit with them, name them, share them, but then we have to leave them open to a little bit of critique. I think sometimes we share our expectations like God should have done this and God should have done that as if to say everything we experience should just avoid and sidestep all suffering and struggle. But it's in the suffering and struggle that actually we're formed and shaped and we realize that he really is making all things new through suffering. So they said, yeah, this guy we hoped was going to redeem Israel he was crucified. But they move from that expectation to they crucified him. And now we see that actually that's how we were redeemed after all. Did you see that movement? Yeah, they crucified him. And we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. And time with Jesus, step by step, in their process, with their doubts, with their expectations, they begin to move to a place where they say they crucified him. And now we see, actually, that's how the kingdom came. I think in this time of pandemic, our step-by-step -step journey with Jesus hasn't been sidelined. It's actually an opportunity. It's a unique opportunity because you're home, you're sitting with all of these expectations, worries, and wonderings, and I'm giving you permission to lay them out before Jesus. And when you get them out with the people you're in quarantine with, on the phone, on Zoom, or right there in person, I think you start to let Jesus into this equation, and you allow his story 
to expand your view of what's going on. And when that happens, I think you can move from that question of why has all this happened? Why this? And you realize you're never going to get that answer. So you move from the why question to the what question. What, God, are you forming in me through this? What might he be inviting you into at home to recognize more and more the presence of Christ in your everyday life? What is he forming and shaping in your home with your kids, with your spouse, with your partner, with your roommate, with your whomever? What is he up to? He's still inviting you to see it. And even on their step-by-step journey, they kept going together. And I want you to know this. And if you're writing anything down, maybe write this down. Just because you don't recognize God's work doesn't mean that God's not working. Just because you don't see him alongside of you does not mean that he's not alongside of you. The discipline for us is to see our little story as a vital piece of the bigger story that God has been telling all along. And when we get those questions and doubts out in front of him, we allow ourselves just enough opportunity to let him speak into that and begin to reveal at the foot of the cross, what does this mean? It means so much more than we ever thought. Suffering and struggle is a part of it, but it doesn't have to be the last word. I love this C.S. Lewis quote I recently came across. He says this, we ride with our backs to the engine, okay? The image is of a train, right? And I don't know if you're like me, but when you hop on the dart or one of those old school trains and they have the benches that face forward or the benches that face backwards, y'all, I'm a backwards bench person all day. It's more fun when you watch the window and just see everything behind you. So this is the image that C.S. Lewis is sharing. And I'll get back to the quote and not my goofy train habits. You ready? We sit, we ride with our backs to the engine. We have no notion of what stage of the journey we have reached. He keeps going. A story is precisely the sort of thing that cannot be understood till you have heard the whole of it. When they were discussing, what does this mean? They can't understand the full story of the cross When they stand at the empty tomb hearing the reports, what does this mean? They can't understand the whole of it because the story was just being told and revealed one step at a time. So they kept going in their journey because the story was about to be revealed in full. And they're going to find their little disappointment story wrapped up into the broader story. And it's a story of new creation that the risen Christ has broken into our existence. So the second piece of my big idea is this. We are on a step-by-step journey of recognizing Christ's presence in our everyday lives. 
So Christ has instructed them. He's been alongside of them. They still don't know that it's the risen Jesus, but there's something stirring, something coming alive and awake to them. We're like, we love the way this dude is teaching us the Bible. We love this preacher. We need more of this. So they finally make it seven miles to Emmaus. And Jesus is doing some goofy thing where he's like, all right, guys, I'll see you later. And he's kind of acting as if he's going to keep going. And it's almost like an invitation for them to see this journey through to its end. So they oblige and say, no, 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 stay with us. Dude, you've got to come and have dinner. Man, It's the night is young. The day is past. Let's do this thing. So Jesus obliges their invitation and he goes to be with them. Now, I love this time in our season because one of our core practices is creating space at the neighborhood church. We say that we create space for God and others in order that transformational relationships can grow and develop. And I wonder who in the neighborhood church was praying about a month and a half ago. You know, I really wish something would happen where I could have more space and more margin in my life, where I could just be home and kind of just chill for a little bit. Whoever you are that prayed that, I never thought that God would answer it like this. Of course, I'm joking, but you get the idea. We have all had space imposed upon us, right? We all, whether we like it or not, have to create space. The question and the story and the step-by-step journey that's beckoning us, the question is, how are we spending this time in which space has been created for us? I'll be honest with you. I can't have a relationship with Jesus for you. I can't be right there every step of the way helping you or you, me, recognize Christ's presence in our everyday lives. So it's up to us in this moment, in this season, to ask ourselves, okay, how am I being present to God's presence in my everyday life? What is it looking like for you? What would it look like to take five minutes, ten minutes of just stillness, breathing, being present to his presence? How about scripture? On their journey, Jesus was unpacking the whole story of God. You have space, you have time to read God's word. How about with others? Not just in your life with God, but your life with others. How are you being intentional to give people your attention? Because when you give someone your attention, you're giving them your time. And when you're giving someone your time, you're giving them your life. This space has been created. How are we using it? What story do you want told on the other side of this pandemic? A story that was one of struggle and suffering and hardship, but also one in which Christ is forming and moving and working within you. Don't waste it. We all have to experience it together. But the good news is that our journey is step by step. You don't have to do it all at once. Y'all have heard that phrase, God's speed, right? It's an old way of saying like, God's speed, go well, you go do your thing, right? But what if we took that phrase, God's speed, and actually broke it down and quantified it as how fast does God travel, right? What's God's speed? I heard a pastor and writer say, I'll tell you what God's speed is. Three miles an hour. Have y'all heard this? 
Why would he say three miles an hour? That's how fast God travels? He said, yes, because three miles an hour is the average speed at which a human walks. He is walking alongside us step by step. And he's waiting for us to recognize more and more the presence of Christ right here in our midst. He's here alongside us, whether we recognize him or not, hoping that we would seek him and then find him. So they said, stay with us. But they also say what? Come and eat. Let's come and eat. So Jesus then becomes the host in their own place at Emmaus. And did y'all hear that language when I read the passage earlier? He took the bread. He gave to them. He blessed it, right? Now, in thinking about this story, I was reading N.T. Wright, who's like an amazing uh, New Testament scholar. And when he was writing about this passage, he said, think about the first meal recorded in Scripture. Okay, And he uses meal loosely. But if you think about in the story of Scripture, what's the first meal in creation? It's probably this one. Eve saw that the fruit was good, so she took it. She gave some to Adam. They ate, and their eyes were open. And in that passage, it's a way of saying their eyes were open, but it was an openness that led to shame and division and fear. That, N.T. Wright said, was the first meal of creation. But in Luke's gospel, what's the first meal of new creation? The first day of the week, the dawning of a new era, God's kingdom is breaking into the world. It is removing sin, death, suffering, and evil. What's the first meal of new creation? It's Jesus sitting down. He takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He gives it to them to eat. And then their eyes were opened, but they don't see shame and division and fear. They see the risen Christ before them until they don't. They were so excited that they hopped up and ran seven miles back to tell the others, we have seen Jesus. It's true. We recognized him with our own eyes. Luke records this story with the Eucharistic language, communion language, Lord's Supper language, whatever language you want to call it, because he wants you and I and every person on a journey after them to see Christ in the broken body and blood shed on a cross and commemorated in a meal, the meal of new creation. I want to close with this full circle idea about what does this mean? This crucifix that I have on this table is actually given to me by my grandparents. Shout out to Papa and Carol. Thank you for bringing this crucifix all the way back from Jerusalem. And as a Protestant person, I'll tell you that most of the crosses hung in my house or at our churches, they don't have Jesus on the front of them. 
Because we Protestants like to say, you know, he did come down off that cross. And even when we put him in the tomb, he did come out of that tomb. And we're right, but I think they're right also. Because there's something about the suffering Messiah that's the key to unlocking the whole story. And there's something about the meal of the Eucharist that unlocks the whole story. That you can't fully understand the story that God is telling. You can't fully recognize the presence of Christ unless you recognize it through the lens of the crucified and risen King. If you were to ask me, Adam, when did you become a Christian? When was your conversion? I would probably tell you that it was when I was 10 years old. And the truth is that there was something about this moment in time when I was 10 where I took a step of faith that I believe did cross me over from death to life. Because even at 10 years old, there was something about Jesus, like these two disappointed disciples, that stirred something up in me. Uh, my heart was burning when I saw Jesus for who he was. And so I would tell you that I became a Christian when I was 10 years old. And that's a funny thing for some people to hear, but let me tell you something that might even be funnier for you to hear. I don't think that was my first step with Jesus. I think that having grown up with Christian family and grown up in a Christian church, that I had taken many steps with an unrecognized, unseen Christ that was with me every step of the way. In my step-by-step journey until finally there was something I saw in the crucified and risen Savior that set something ablaze in my heart. And I took a crucial step, a conversion kind of step. But here over two decades later, I'm still taking this journey step by step and you are too. And if you were to ask me, how many times have you recognized him or seen him in the way that these two disappointed disciples did? I would tell you there's probably a handful of times, maybe I could count on two hands, those moments that aren't quite conversions, they're more like confrontations. Moments when I'm confronted by the reality of the risen Christ. And they're few and far between, but they're enough to keep me going. And they're enough to wake me up and open my eyes to see the more I go that the expansive nature of who God is just keeps going and going. And yet the way is so much simpler. It's a way of walking with Jesus day by day to seek him and to find him, to love him and to love neighbor. God is simultaneously getting bigger and bigger the more I see him. And yet his way is getting simpler and simpler. I didn't say easier. I said simpler. This is the invitation. You and I are on a step-by-step journey of recognizing Christ's presence in our everyday lives. What does that look like for you? Where are you on your journey with Jesus right now? You may see him in a profound and big, beautiful way tomorrow in your home. Or you may see him in a still and quiet whisper as you go to bed this evening. You may see him in ways that you never dreamed of. But I do trust that you will see him, whatever that looks like for you, 
however he wants to reveal himself for you. But it's only possible when you keep taking those steps. So may you keep journeying on and may you learn to recognize in this season the risen Christ. I want to leave you with this Emmaus offering prayer. This was written by Carol Penner and I'll leave you with it. Like the disciples at Emmaus, we offer what we have. They offered their company, their table, their bread. So we invite you to be with us as we offer you our love, our devotion, these gifts. May our eyes be opened to your holy presence, now and always. Amen. Go in peace and be blessed.